This is the River's Edge, the gayest Riverdale podcast. Welcome. I'm Anna. And I'm Carla. So uh, our intro segment every episode will be, how gay is this episode? Carla, what are your thoughts? Okay, my thoughts on a scale from one to ten is that this episode is a solid six Mm. for gayness. Explain yourself. Okay, so we start off with the gay best friend trope. And that's pretty heterosexual, I think. (laughs) So that brings it down a notch. Okay. But then we get the faux lesbian kissing when Betty and Veronica are trying out for the Vixens. And we get Cheryl's rage at the faux lesbianism. And I feel like that brings it up all the way to a six. Okay. So the rage is the gay part. Yeah, the rage this, is the gay part. The stifled lesbianism is, in fact, what makes it gay, not the kiss. Yeah, no, the kiss is super straight. That's very sound reasoning. I would also put it at a six um, because I really like the homoeroticism of Reggie and Archie's relationship. It's very I like... forget about that. <laughs> it's very like locker room homoeroticism, which I find very fun. It's like it's like oh, comrades yeah. on a battlefield, except dumber. And comrades on a battlefield, so homoerotic. Oh, and they're so dumb too. They're, they're so, so dumb. dumb. The fact it's that so Reggie hot. Reggie manages to be dumber than Archie is just astounding. He deserves a medal for being dumber than Archie because that <laughs> is hard to do. Okay, so we're gonna do like some quick intro stuff about how this podcast is gonna work. Um, It is not going to be spoiler free. It's going to be chock full of spoilers, actually. Yes, um, we spoiled some stuff already, (laughs) I think. And it's because we really want to analyze the whole show as like a cohesive text, even though it's ongoing. We want to analyze it like it's a complete text, essentially, every time we get on here and talk about it, because that's the way we were taught to read at the university we go to. <laughs> so Yes, we are academics. We're smart people, allegedly. So allegedly. Uh, Academics just means people that spiral out about shit no one reads anymore. <laughs> That's yeah. what that is. I once read that English majors are people who create problems that don't exist so that they can solve problems. That's true. We write books to analyze the books. And then we yeah. have just the great, but we're having, we're, we're having fun. That's what really matters. Yeah, it's all about having fun. Yeah, so, so if us ruining the show, fun. <laughs> fun. Um, and then we, I watched a video today. I was on my suggested on YouTube. There was a video called Riverdale Sucks and Here's Why. And I watched all 20 minutes. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> just so I could prepare a mental rebuttal that no one would ever hear. But I think I'm actually going to go into it. Okay, go we, for it. Says so I want to talk about why this show is good. And that's like one of our, our intro topics too. I'm going to talk about why I feel like this is worth making a weekly podcast about. And so I watched this girl talking about how Riverdale sucks. And she had some valid points because it's like a CW messy teen show. And I love that. I love everything about that. But it does make the storytelling like it's not like it's it's like not a oscar winning film it's a cw so those points she had were like valid but stupid because it's a teen Mm. show the other points she had were just not valid and stupid because she doesn't get the show talking about how she doesn't like the dialogue how the characters all seem like tropes being played out and that's like the beauty of it you know the reason why i love the show is because it's like it's camp it's that exaggerated it's that yeah that beautiful intersection between like exaggeration and earnestness and like beauty and ridiculousness that really really works and i personally really love that they use every possible trope i just did like a short list of tropes that i'm gonna read out that they have okay they have cheerleaders and cheerleading like bring it on type dynamics they have an evil rich family and a haunted mansion dynamics they have girl next door and boy next door dynamics. They have bad boy from the wrong side of the tracks. They have gang dynamics. And it can, like, that's all within the first three episodes. (laughs) 
So they are willing to go there right off the bat and it can only get crazier. Like you can do anything in this world because any trope, any cliche is worth exploiting and worth exploring because of the fun it provides visually for the characters emotionally. It's all just really, really good fun. And then the second reason why it's camp, I mentioned this earlier, is because it's earnest. It's Mm -hmm. really, really earnest. Like, it has, like, a self-awareness that makes it, like, a little... I wish it was less (laughs) self-aware sometimes. I finally read On Camp by Susan Sontag, and I found the perfect quote to describe Riverdale in it. Go ahead. When she talked about camp as being high-spirited and unpretentious, which is why Riverdale is fun. Yes, exactly. That's the perfect line. And there's so much like empathy, which I think is a really necessary part of camp because it camp is like inherently like a gay thing. It's there's like dyke camp. There's like gay camp. Like there's like all these like gay yeah. versions of it. And it's because there's this empathy in the gay aesthetic for suffering, for genuine feelings, for emotions. So you get this because oh, Roberto, the patron saint of modern camp <laughs> uh praise his name he really loves these characters like he genuinely loves them he does. We talking, yesterday we were talking about the like gay archie play he wrote in college because he's been in love with these characters for so oh, I long i really need my to get my hands on the gay archie play like oh uh. yeah i just wish i had been like i was like seven <laughs> i wish i had been yeah. old enough to see that play but yeah, so there's so much empathy and earnestness. There's a lot of love for the characters, but also a willingness to just go insane and kind of throw out everything that creates just crack, pure crackhead television. And I enjoy it very much. <laughs> All right, so you go. Why is the show worth okay. talking about? I feel like you are really the bedrock of this podcast <laughs> in outlining everything, <laughs> but I'll try to give it a go based on what you haven't said yet. Which mm-hmm. is the aesthetic that doesn't have to do with camp entirely. I mean, the exaggerated part, yes, they all look like cartoons. They have this very exaggerated, like feminine, masculine dynamic, which I hate in real life, but love so, so much in TV shows. Mm-hmm. Like that whole 50s housewife wearing a dress and Veronica's pearls and everything. Yeah. But I also, like, really love the color palettes. Like, I feel like that is a very important part of Riverdale. It's, like, super Art Nouveau, which is also apparently campy. I have just learned today. (laughs) Like, because, you know, Riverdale's, like, all dark blues and greens, which is the majority of Art Nouveau with, like, some cream pastel. And then, like, Betty Soft Pinks are, like, a lot of Art Nouveau paintings. So that's what I love about it and how everything is kind of like pretend. Actually, this is what fucks with me, which is a reason that I like it, but also a reason that I hate Riverdale because Mm -hmm. I do also kind of hate Riverdale. I have to put that out there Mm -hmm. that they're not fucking high schoolers. (laughs) (laughs) Like they're, they're high schoolers with question marks. Like, oh, that fucks with me. Yeah. I mean, the high school pretense I really like for, like, certain aspects of story we get, like the cheerleader thing I mentioned. Yeah, it works with tropes. Yeah, there's just no other reason that these people would hang out. <laughs> so we have yeah. to have some way to, like, force them to be in the same room. But it is really, it's, like, awkward at times because they're doing all of these insane things. But yeah. they're in high school. Like, it's I did not have such a mess. Yeah. Uh, anything else? Honestly, no. I just love the defined aesthetic, and that's probably the only reason I continue to watch it other than Choni. Yeah, I think that's a really good point, and I love how the aesthetic is so cohesive that they're able to shift it from storyline to storyline and mood to mood, and it works. Yes, it works every single time. Like, that cartoon, dark, gothic aesthetic is perfect for everything. It is. Like, we have, like, the film noir storyline of the first season and the aesthetic works for that and then we have the serial killer yes like like the ncis shit yeah then we have like the 60s 
like Manson serial killer mania aesthetic and it works for that. And then we have like nerds nostalgia aesthetic in season three and it's and working there. The, uh, 20 speakeasy. Yeah. Like that whole, I'm not, I need to like think about that more. Like what is it about the way that they're shooting this and the way that they've designed this, that it can so effortlessly switch between all of these campy styles, like so easily. Yeah. It's That's, like, it's so extreme that it's neutral. Yeah. Yeah. That's like how I feel about it. When people are like, I can't believe the storyline happened. I'm like, okay, but this world is so extreme that the most basic things are very, very neutral occurrences. That should be the tagline to Riverdale. So extreme, it's neutral. <laughs> so let's just move on to the episode, I guess. Okay. So where are we starting? I guess... At the beginning with Jughead's amazing little voiceover. Yes. So let's get into it. Um, one of the things I like about this opening shot is the sense of scale that we establish. Like you see what size town Riverdale is. And we never get that sense of scale ever again in the show. No, it feels like simultaneously so big and so small throughout the show because you only get a few characters, but then like shit keeps popping up and you're like, how does all this shit pop up in a town with only 20 people in it? Exactly. Exactly. Because like Hiram and Hermione and their whole mob family, they seem like a big operation. What are they doing here in Riverdale? I know, like, why Why did you come to Canada, of all places? It's so cliche. Yeah, so I'm guessing that Riverdale has a population of, like, 30,000. I am not sure. Whoa, that's a lot of people for Riverdale. I don't know. I have no concept of how big this town is. I know. I feel like it could be anywhere from, like, 200 to, like, 100,000 people, and who knows? 100,000 people is still technically, like, a small city. Yeah, but still, that's a big difference. Yeah, um, so let's talk about Jughead and his opening monologue. Oh, he's uh, so emo. So emo. He's a terrible writer, but I like that. Yeah, he reminds me of myself, you know? Mm. Especially in middle school. I just love how in-universe, he's a great writer. I love that. <laughs> in the world of Riverdale... Jughead is like literally like name a writer. He's I can't think of any writers. <laughs> Jughead is like the living F. Scott Fitzgerald if people didn't make fun of F. Scott Fitzgerald that much. Yeah. Yeah. Except he's like a little less put together than F. Scott Fitzgerald. F. Scott Fitzgerald wasn't put together. He was a fucking alcoholic. Yeah, but in a nice suit. Jughead is just a little too emo for, for that. Yeah, true. F. Scott Fitzgerald would not have been caught dead in that leather jacket and the little, like, shearling denim thing. <laughs> All right. So we get that es establishing scene, and then we get Jason and Cheryl taking an extremely beautiful car ride to the river. Oh, that mysterious boat ride happens. Yes. I really enjoy how heavily they lean into the romance of their relationship. Yeah, and you see that it's intended later, like in season three, when you see how um, Penelope and Clifford were groomed to be together, even yeah. though they were siblings. I love that twist. I love that. I mean, obviously, I don't support incest. Don't fuck your brother. But... <laughs> I just love how heavily they leaned into the romance of it because that was my first indication that this was crackhead television. Like they were going there from the start. Yeah, and, it's fucked up and they know it. Yeah, like they're really going there. And I'm going to talk about Grundy for a second because this is like a parallel. Okay. I wish they had treated Grundy and Archie like they treat Cheryl and Jason. Jason. Because I feel like they tried to play Grundy and Archie both ways. They try to make it like super romantic, hot, sexy relationship. But they also try to kind of condemn it because they're supposed to be good people. I wish they had just picked one. 
I feel like they didn't condemn it at all. They made it seem like taboo, obviously, like in the world of Riverdale. But I don't think that they put any effort into making the audience think that their relationship was wrong. I think they did near the end when they wrote her out. Um, But. Oh, yeah. Like with. But they kind of made Alice. Alice was back then was a Stepford wife. So they kind of made her like crazy and vindictive about it and made her seem like she was in the wrong for trying to get a child molester thrown out of her daughter's school. Um, But what I really, what I wanted because we see Grundy being like manipulative, but in a very subtle way. And I really wish they had just pushed it to the, like what I mean by pushed it all the way in the, like romantic side of things. It's not that I actually wanted it to be romantic. I wanted it to be such heightened romance and such deep manipulation that it was very obvious it was wrong, but they were still exploiting the tropes of that story in a way that would have been interesting, but still like obviously morally horrible. Mm -hmm. Statutory rape, like without a doubt. But instead they kind of do that in the first shots where I do really love the shot where the music, the theme music is playing and Archie's like, you zoom in on him and the bleachers and you zoom in on Grundy and then they like lock eyes and you're like, what is happening? I wish they had kept that energy up, that like really illicit kind of gross, creepy energy because it would have been way more interesting to watch and it would have really emphasize it would have made Archie more complex that first season like we could have seen him be damaged from that instead of just be fine (laughs) instead he had to be damaged by Hiram which was I love him and Hiram's relationship that saved season two for me oh that's also creepy as fuck wait but we're forgetting that beautiful scene with Archie and Grundy in the car when she like comes out looking like she's in a fucking Lana Del Rey music video with like her little sunglasses and her flowing hair. And she's like, do you want to ride? Like, what the fuck was that? It was so beautiful. And I just really wanted. It just got like the relationship was bland. It was just like blandly horrible. Like I was watching yeah. like it's like a different show. Like if you were going for bland like horrible everyday realism it's horrible because it happens all the time which is true which is an angle you can play but yeah. this is that is not riverdale <laughs> like that is not this show i guess they're trying to play her as the girl next door even though she's in her 30s but she's definitely milfy like she's hot oh Just... she is but not for archie no. that's not right no because the one thing about kj appa is that he gets the naivete of a 50-year-old boy perfectly. (laughs) He really does. It makes you wonder what he's actually like. (laughs) I hope he's smarter. (laughs) Poor boy. So do I. (laughs) Our poor little Samoan king. (laughs) We love a biracial king. We stand. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so what happens next? Um, The Blossom Twins go on their mysterious boat ride, and then... Dilton Doily, my favorite, least favorite character, <laughs> appears. I just love that shot of him coming out of the woods and seeing Cheryl. Oh, it's so beautiful. So Wes Anderson. It is. It literally looks like Dark Moonrise Kingdom. <laughs> yes. Very dark, poorly lit Moonrise Kingdom. Yeah, it's so good. Um, so then they drag the river for Jason. I'm not really too much. I've seen this episode so many times. I'm not even too much into the plot of it. I'm just trying to figure out like the implications of like for future character building. Yeah. I think it does a fantastic job of like building all of the main characters are just especially Cheryl because she ends up being really fucked up. Like she burns her whole entire house down after her brother dies. Yeah. Talk about Cheryl some more. Like, well, how you think this episode establishes, like, a, I, I just, I feel like people don't get Cheryl and you get Cheryl. So, like, talk about her. Oh, my God. See, I feel like I get Cheryl, like, in my heart, but it's very difficult to explain. Mm-hmm. Just, I think you have to look at her not as, like, 
a vindictive mean girl, but as somebody with like legitimate mental health issues who has gone through a lot of traumatic stuff, like she is the product of incest. Her parents are horrible. One runs a drug trade and then is violently murdered. Mm-hmm. Um, and then her brother is violently murdered in front of her. And there's an entire town looking at her as a culprit, looking at like her family as being villains, even when they're the victims. I don't know. She's just really a sad, sad little girl. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And I can empathize with her. I think one of the, I think Cheryl is probably, I'm going to get, we're going to get into Betty in a second because we both love Betty. But I think Cheryl is probably the most well-developed character in terms of like how she functions in the world. And people think she's not well-developed, but I'm what, who the fuck thinks that <laughs> lots of people think she's just a stereotypical mean girl. And I'm like, you don't understand. She's beautifully developed because the way she behaves is erratic and it makes and it's cyclical like someone mm-hmm. with her type of mental illnesses would have. Her character makes perfect sense to me. People yeah. are like, I thought she reformed last episode. And I'm like, this girl is brain damaged. Yeah, like, she needs to see a therapist to actually reform. Otherwise, she's just going to keep doing the same shit. Yeah, like the way she acts in universe has the most cohesive reasons behind it out of anyone, I think. Like, I come from a fucked up background. What's your excuse? Like, Archie, you do crazy erratic things because what? You're afraid your dad's going to get hurt? I mean, I guess. Betty, you do crazy erratic things because you have feel pressure from your mom. I mean, I guess. Cheryl does crazy erratic things because Cheryl is fundamentally a crazy erratic person. Yeah. And that's the best justification for character behavior I've ever heard. I know. You know what? This show is a beacon, an icon for mental illness representation, and it doesn't even know it. Doesn't even know it. Actually, you're so right. This should be a mental health podcast where we examine our issues through Riverdale. (laughs) It's not too late. Special episode coming soon. We work through our issues through the archetypes of these characters. I tell my therapist she can fuck off because I found a new outlet. (laughs) I hope that's true. I don't want to pay for therapy. Who does? Uh, America. (laughs) So, um, we get, we get, um, then Veronica is the new mystery that rolls into town. And I love this scene because I love how Cami Mendez plays it. I was really not on board for her as Veronica because I always, I told you that I saw Veronica as like, she was the biggest character to me in the Archie universe because I loved her the most because I wasn't yeah. an idiot. So I always saw her as this like gigantic, like supermodel, tall, like monster bitch from hell. And I loved that. And Kevin Mendez is a petite, gorgeous little doll of a woman. But she has such a big presence. She does. And that's what won me over very quickly. Like in this first scene, she is playing Veronica because they have this this really great like kind of pre-show character development that works so well that Veronica's trying not to be a mean girl anymore, which makes her so dynamic because instead, go ahead. Oh, no, I was probably just going to say whatever you were going to say, which is like, she spends the entire show trying not to be a bitch. And that's what I love about her. Like, I love characters who are fundamentally mean, but trying their hard to be good because it's not interesting when you're already a good person and you don't have to try. Yeah, it's such a dynamic conflict, like between her natural inclination to be a raging bitch and trying to be a good person. <laughs> So in that first scene, she's like greeting the doorman and they're talking about pops and you can just see her biting back all this like vitriol because she wants to talk about how shitty the situation is, how shitty this town is, but she's trying to be polite. And I love her eyebrows are insane. So (laughs) we we stand. I love the eyebrows. They're so good. Any other points on that? No, I mean, we got it. Veronica's a bitch and we love it. So then we have insane Stepford wife, Alice. Um, oh, yeah. Which is without a doubt the hottest iteration of Alice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, you know, 
That's interesting because I didn't even realize how hot Alice was until she was like done with her Stepford wife shit. Oh man, I was instantly into it when I first saw her like sitting on Betty's bed, like criticizing her before she goes to school on the first day. And I was like, oh, she's really hot. She's so gorgeous. And that energy, that insane energy really worked for me. (laughs) See, I already have a mean mom, so I'm not like, oh, a mean mom. I really need some of that. (laughs) I mean, I'm not going to get into the psychoanalysis for that, but I really thought that's Alice's hottest stage. (laughs) I mean, she's really put together and bitchy is nice. Yeah. Um, I do like it when she begins to crack for her as a character, but I think Maj Shanamik just played her holding it together very poorly, very well, and like mm-hmm. captivatingly. Um, yeah, so, oh, why don't we talk about the scene where Kevin and Betty are getting ready in Betty's room? Okay, you go first. I'm talking so much. <laughs> <laughs> You're talking so much because, as I said, you are the bedrock of this podcast. <laughs> Oh dear, so, that's a lot of pressure. So basically, we have the gay best friend trope pop in right at this moment. You know, Betty's wearing her cute little bra, no shirt on, you know, to really like punch it in that Kevin is gay. <laughs> and then we get what I guess is Riverdale's money shot for the episode, which is KJ Apo without his shirt on. And we get, like, this jaw-dropping reaction from Kevin and Betty, like, trying to play it cool. And what do you think about Betty's, like, supposed indifference until Kevin starts, you know, push her? Hmm. That's a really good question. You don't have to have an answer, but... I think it's really... I think it speaks mostly to her lack of self-confidence which is kind of weird because later in this episode she's so forward with Archie like I would never be like I see us as a power couple to any person (laughs) but I because Veronica hyped her up yeah maybe maybe it's just because all of her confidence has to come from these external places and that's why she was so kind of passive about it until she had all these people pushing her and then she responds very strongly to being pressured and that's why she went for it Mm -hmm. she has such amazing character development throughout the show like we were talking about cheryl has great character development like from the get-go but betty over time turns from like such an insecure little delicate flower who's taking unnecessary ADHD medication because her mom is a bitch to being like serpent queen. (laughs) I don't take shit from anyone. I'm so confident in myself. I could light you on fire. Like it's beautiful. I really love um, seeing how she acted. This is a major spoiler as we told you, but when she gets sent to the sister's, uh, in season three, the way we get that inner monologue in her head in the that episode is so revealing of how much she's grown. Her inner monologue would have been nothing like that at the start of the show. Oh, like, not at all. Right? And the like wherewithal she showed was like amazing. And I think Betty is the main character. That's my thesis. Betty is the main character. All of the central relationships really do revolve around her. If they you do. think about it, she is the driving force behind most of the action. She is the one of the best actresses on the show. Like those eyes are so emotive. They really like, are. She is so good, and she's so well written. I, I said Cheryl was like a better had better reasoning behind her actions, and she does because Betty sometimes. We'll make a decision. You're like, why'd you do that, Betty? But yeah, character is consistently the one that is tying it all together. Like she holds it down. She's the mom friend of the entire show. (laughs) To me, Betty is like a lot like how I view Captain America with the not really any specific 
reasoning that makes sense for anything other than this is the right thing to do. So we have to do it. Yeah. Which, you know, pushes the show on, keeps the plot going. Yeah. She's the only like good guy in the whole show. Everyone else is morally gray, but Betty always does what is correct in the moment. Pretty much faultlessly, in my opinion. She does. Not in like personal decisions, but in like moral quandaries. I think she She tries her hardest. Yeah. Yeah, I think she's like the bedrock. I think if we had to choose a main character, it sure as hell wouldn't be Archie. We're going to get to. We're going to get to him. We're just kind of going through characters, but it would be Betty. Let's get into Archie. Let's get into it. Okay, dumb thought Archie. (laughs) Sweet, sweet baby. I feel like I need to preface this by saying that we don't hate Archie. I mean, Anna might hate Archie a little bit, but like overall, we love him. We just love to make fun of him too. I mean, I definitely see his narrative purpose and he's like well acted for what he is. I enjoy him, but he's just the least interesting character in my opinion. Yeah, poor boy. He's just so like vanilla, apple pie, uh, American. Yeah. It's it's boring. Yeah. When he went to prison, that's when I really got into it. Loved prison Archie. That was my favorite. Oh, yeah. Tattooed Archie. Kissing serpents Archie. Though that was involuntary. So I guess it doesn't count. Yeah. But... I don't know. I know that the show would be shit if Archie wasn't there. It would be so... You need him to kind of like mitigate all of the other incredibly strong personalities. Yeah, he holds balance in the universe. Yeah. Like if Betty is the bedrock to the show, Archie's like the walls of the show if we're using house (laughs) metaphors. He's like the boring white walls. (laughs) But he does use, he does serve a lot of narrative purpose, and I really enjoyed him in season two. His relationship to Hiram was one of my favorite parts. I love how that was handled. God. I loved every decision he made in relation to Hiram. I thought they were all perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Please tell me you're being sarcastic. No, like from a from a show stand from a story standpoint, I thought they were all incredible decisions. From a personal standpoint, he's not doing well. Those were the worst fucking decisions <laughs> I've ever seen. Like, sure, he single-handedly created the plot, but at what cost? <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. Do we have any more Archie thoughts? Um Okay. I feel like I want to rewind, go to episode one. And talk about the scene with him and Betty at Pops. Okay. Because it hurt my feelings. Oh. <laughs> like, okay, I need to gather my thoughts on this. But basically, Betty bears her heart to Archie. Or is about to bear her heart to Archie. Like, tell him that she will, is in love with him. And she thinks that he's about to tell her that he's in love with her because he talks about like this new thing that he's found that he realized is like what he needs in his life. And then he comes out and starts talking about fucking guitar instead of being in love with her, which he clearly should be because she is Betty Cooper and the bedrock of our society. And then fucking Veronica intercepts their beautiful moment. And all of my dreams are shattered. I cry. Betty cries internally. And Archie makes this face that is unforgivable. Do you have comments? Are you a Barchie shipper? Do you ship Betty and Archie? I don't. But that was just so cruel. Mm. It was wrong. How do you do that to a person? I feel like it's kind of okay because he's clearly not self-aware enough to know what he does to girls. And that's my problem with Archie, that he's not self-aware. Like, forget that he's stupid as a bag (laughs) of rocks, but he's just not aware of anything that he does. I mean, I think that's kind of what makes him 
you able to love him because he's not trying to be mean. He's just a bumbling kind of idiot kid. And yeah, I just, uh, and then when he tells Betty that he doesn't deserve her, instead of just saying, I'm sorry, I don't love you. He's just like trying to pretend that he maybe does, but like, Oh, you're too good for me. That scene in front of her house is really, really sad. That really got me. Dude, I, I legitimately cried. Like, that that fucked me up. Yeah. I mean, I think the reason... Okay, when they're at the diner, he's talking about, talking about his newfound love of music. A storyline which you didn't mind, but I hated because I thought it was so boring. Um, But, so Betty's like, um, can you do that in football? Are you going to tell your dad? Blah, 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 blah. And you can see him getting visibly irritated with this line of questioning. Oh, yeah. And that's the reason he doesn't like her in my mind. He doesn't like her because she's, she's like his mom. <laughs> like, she really is. She's like his protector. She's been taking, she taught him how to read for God's sake. Like he can't like someone that's so, so much of a, parental like caretaker fixture he wants the opposite of that he wants veronica the bad girl from the big city that's so sadly true yeah it is and then of course veronica turns out to have way more depth and i do believe i actually do believe he loves her later on because she I is think that he does he, she is an amazing character in terms of like if you knew Veronica, you would be in love with her. <laughs> like I am in love with her. <laughs> yeah. So like he's not shallow in his his actual like emotions, I guess, but I think he is shallow in his motivations sometimes. Yeah, but on that note, they are very much in love with each other, and it's devastating when spoiler alert they break up in season three. Let's not even get into that. We're so far from but there. We are so far from there. <laughs> but I don't feel like they have very much chemistry on screen. Like the script tells us that they love each other, but I don't like feel it, you know? Yeah. I feel may way more chemistry between like genuinely Jughead and Archie, Archie and Hiram. Like, <laughs> like Betty and Veronica have way more chemistry together. I don't know what it is. Maybe the actors just aren't super comfortable doing that with each other. Maybe. Or I feel like the show really focuses on like the friendships, which is important. Like all these platonic relationships. And so they just made those so strong that they kind of outweighed the romantic ones. Yeah. Except for Bughead, which they give a lot of airtime. Oh, yeah, they give them airtime, but it's still, mm, I don't like it. I don't like what airtime they get. It needs to stop. Oh, why don't you like it? I don't know. Just seeing them together makes me so uncomfortable. Like, they're the most awkward couple ever. Hmm, And they seem like the one time when they seem like children is when you're like, oh, my God, they're about to have sex. They're literally 12 years old. <laughs> like every other time, I'm like, why are you acting like you're 12? You're literally 30 years old. <laughs> it's just uh, it's a mess in my mind. I mean, I would I don't care if they like end up together or not. They probably will. But I do want them to break up and I do want to see them with other people like. Yeah, bad. they need to explore, especially Betty. Who is like literally only dated Jughead. Yeah. I mean, I think Jughead's only dated Betty too. Yeah. I do like the concept that he's been in love with her for like ever. I wish they would lean into that more because I love a pining man. I do. Pine. I love it. Please. So we've gone through the all of the other like main characters. So let's get into Jughead, I guess, since we're already already there. Yeah. So Jughead doesn't have like, he's not really center stage in this episode. He's basically just the narrator. Mm-hmm. And we don't learn too much about him other than that, like his mysterious relationship with Archie that maybe gets explained later with mm-hmm. um 
the just talk to her thing when Archie asks for advice, like talking to her would go a long way. It would have gone a long way with me. Do you remember what that was referencing? Um, They never clearly state it, but I'm pretty sure it's about how Archie consistently ditched him for Grundy during the summertime and just wouldn't talk to him and tell him why, which would hurt my feelings if I was Jughead. So, right. So I think that and was Grundy is here again. Yeah, I don't even really want to talk about it. Like, this is our podcast. Let's talk about things we like. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just like the tension in that scene when, I mean, I don't think Cole Sprouse was completely comfortable in this character until like literally season three, honestly, where yeah. he's like really acting his ass off. Um, but still he managed him and KJ Appa have great on-screen chemistry. Like great. They do. Oh my God. I'm just like, when are they going to fuck? Like when, when is Jughead going to be the bottom that Archie deserves? <laughs> You're not wrong, though. Okay, yeah. If you think Jughead's topping anyone, you're insane. <laughs> I never thought that. You're 100% correct. If you're listening and you think Jughead is ever top, Betty is topping Jughead. <laughs> Absolutely. If that's Absolutely. a thing that can happen in straight sex. Yeah, because uh, did we ever forget about Dark Betty? Dark oh. Betty bottoms for no one. Dark Betty has the strap. Jughead gets pegged. <laughs> Every time. That's all they do. Jughead just gets packed. <laughs> That's too graphic for this wholesome show we have going here. Hey, we build it as the gayest Riverdale podcast. We got to get into the dynamics of the game. Okay, we got to get into pegging, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that's that's like LGBTQIAP. The P is pegging. <laughs> <laughs> okay, queer representation. Okay, queer they're queering heterosexuality. <laughs> oh my god, they're those straight people that everybody hates. Yeah, like, I peg queer. my boyfriend sometimes, so you know, we're kind of gay. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's a pastel pink strap, too. Oh yeah, that's what I was imagining. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I think... Archie and Jughead belong together. I have watched the YouTube edits to prove it to myself. <laughs> oh, they really do. I, I ship it so hard, Jarchie. That's my main ship. Like, everything else, I don't care if it happens. I'm just going to enjoy the ride. But I need Jarchie to happen or I will just, like, start an, a letter writing campaign to Roberto. Like, yeah, Jarchi is like my second ship. We we know my first ship, which is uh literally dead. Archie and Joaquin. Oh, that was like a brief moment, just a brief shining moment. But I needed it so badly. They yeah. showed me what I wanted and then took it away from me immediately. I wouldn't be hoping for Jarchi so bad if they weren't setting it up so hard because we know Roberto wants to make Archie gay. And I'm just yeah. like, let him, let him. Even if it's like a two episode arc where Jughead and Archie kiss and it's awkward, I'll take it. I would prefer a full blown season long relationship, but I'll take anything real I at this point. I will take literally anything. I will take scraps. I will take puke from Roberto's mouth. <laughs> we should have deep a deep dive where we go into like insane conspiracy theory because there's actually a lot of threads pointing to a jughead archie relationship that i don't want to sound too crackheadish about on our first episode oh my God, that's why he's so jealous of grundy yeah yeah the evidence just in this first episode the insane chemistry the jealousy of his time Oh, and how could Archie, like, resist that eyebrow thing that Jughead did when they were in the diner? I feel like that eyebrow thing is, like, really what sells Jughead as an attractive person. It's devastating. I was, Jughead was my number one, like, attraction before FP showed up. He's not in this episode, but I couldn't go an episode without mentioning him. Oh, yeah, FP is a daddy. He's the love of my life. Father of all of my children. What about Alice, though? Alice is our, like, 
is our third that comes in occasionally. Like we're polyamorous. (laughs) (laughs) We're polyamorous and we talk about how we're queering heterosexuality all the time. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We take Instagram photos. It's like me in the middle and then like Alice and then like FP in front of me and they're like hugging and like a three-way hug and we're like, love is love. (laughs) (laughs) Good. I'm happy for you guys. <laughs> we have a uh, one last thing to go over for this episode. Okay. Which is Kevin and Moose. Right, right. <sighs> oh, Moose. Go ahead. I love Moose. I love Kevin. I love how flat they are as characters. I love that they're just gay. That's their whole identity. <laughs> Hey, Moose is gay and he plays sports. Yeah, and that's he's closeted and he has a girlfriend. That's, he's... that's one identity. He's a closeted gay. That's just a different type of single person identity. I suppose. Okay, but he also plays sports. Uh, you're not disproving me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. He's more dimensional than Kevin, I think, because Kevin literally, like, m- thinks Betty Draper jokes are funny and I'm just like having to Google who the fuck Betty Draper is because I'm not gay enough apparently. Get up on your mad men. Step it up. That show is demented. I love it. Yeah, I'm um, watch- too busy watching Riverdale apparently. <laughs> Riverdale, like Ma- Mad Men is Riverdale for, for adults. They'll tell you it's like classy prestige television. It's not. It's just Riverdale for 50-year-olds. Are you saying that Riverdale isn't classy prestige television? No, and that's why I like it. Yeah. I don't I don't like prestige television. Except for Mr. Robot, but that's a different show. Um what were we talking about? We're talking about oh. Kevin and Moose and the very, very important thing that happens at the end of the episode, which is they hook up at, well, they're about to hook up at the river. And then they stumble upon the most frightening thing any horny teenager <laughs> stumble upon when they're about to get dicked down by a guy <laughs> named Moose. <laughs> The body of Jason Blossom. Dun, dun, dun. And it is so green. It so is so green. green. I love that shot of like how it's like forced perspective down into the water. That's really cool. Yeah. Oh, it's so beautiful. It's Riverdale so is just beautiful. It is. It's like a very fun world to inhabit. You get tired of it being dark, but you would have great skin because you wouldn't get sun damage. <laughs> That's true. Oh, I'd be even whiter than I am now. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I mean, I like, I kind of like how Kevin is sort of a non-entity sometimes. I don't know. I think it's funny, but it is a disservice to his character ultimately. And I think they should do better. But I don't care they that should, much. But, you know, they're probably not going to. Like, they gave us our one, like, they gave us Cheryl and Tony, so I feel like they're not going to give us much more. I just find the whole show really gay, so it doesn't really even occur to me to ask for it to be gayer, except for Archie, obviously. Yeah, it like it feels gay even without the gay people. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I know that we need actual gay people <laughs> in it. <laughs> technically. But, technically, we do. I just feel like it has, because of the camp aesthetic, it just feels very gay friendly. <laughs> and you can definitely read Jughead as a lesbian if you want. And you can read. He looks like a lesbian. He does. And you can read Jughead and Betty's relationship as a gay boy and a lesbian being best friends. Because that totally makes sense. That checks it out. Cause um, I, are we saying Betty's a gay boy in this scenario? No, it's just a different reading. Uh, but Jughead is a goth twink, and Betty is a femme lesbian, and they're best friends. I like that. That's so wholesome. It's so wholesome. I don't know. I think, I think people undervalue like gay subtext. It's literally been in film since like the beginning because, like, people are gonna be gay and they're gonna film it, <laughs> and <laughs> it's yeah. like a, it's a really long history of like. I mean, this is me getting academic now. There's a really long history of like 
gay subtext in everything and you just have to read it and you have to find it and it's worth mining for it and it's worth exploring what it means subtextually i don't always need it to be on the surface i do need it to be on the surface and i do need it to be not paid dust by the the creators so i would like more actual yeah. gay people and I would them like to be more angsty and like they like the time they give they spend on Bughead's angst. I would like to be spent on Moose and Kevin's angst because there's a lot there. Oh, there's so much. And you know, Bughead angst isn't even real. Like, what angst do they have? Like, eh, he's a leader of a gang. She got over it. There's really <laughs> there's not any angst to explore. I feel like she's getting tired of him lately, but. That's for a later time. That's for a later time. You know, I think that's just wishful thinking. <laughs> well, no, with the whole Gargoyle King stuff, she I feel like she's definitely getting tired. Oh, she was at her wit's end with him. Like, stop acting like you're fucking 11 years old. Yeah, I love I love when Betty gets mad. Does she get mad? Like, when they're at the diner and Archie's talking to Veronica, the faces she makes are just so iconic. They're beautiful. Oh, my God. This, I wish I could make the faces that she made right then. Yeah, they're they're iconic. So I guess we're kind of done. I think that's how the format's probably going to be from now on as we go through character by character because we do not have yeah. the attention span to go through the whole plot point by point. Um, and it is not we going to be that one day. Maybe if the plot necessitates it. Um. Again, not spoiler-free, if you hadn't noticed by now. And uh, we are going to get academic with it. Oh, we are also both queer women of color. So when we say, make jokes, don't think we're just two straight white ladies cackling to ourselves. Yeah, please. <laughs> we're two queer women of color just cackling to ourselves. Yeah, I'm a black woman. And Carla, what is your ethnicity? <laughs> I'm Latina, you know, like... I'm kind of like an Elizabeth Warren, if you will, uh, <laughs> you know, partially indigenous. Um, so, yeah, that's me. Yeah. So we're uh, we're not because like I really, I forgot last time we tried to record this. I said, I really want Cheryl to be more homophobic in the beginning. <laughs> I think that would be so funny. And I feel like if I if people don't know I'm not straight, they're not going to get that. I think that would be great. <laughs> like, genuinely. Okay, we all want her to be more homophobic. I want her like, to be homophobic to Kevin and Moose, like, today. <laughs> like, in current I want her to be violently homophobic <laughs> to them with maple syrup. Yeah. Like I said, I want her to do what Ariana Grande did to Troy Stefan in the Thank You Next video and just <laughs> shove Kevin into a locker. I just want her to hate the gays so much. I just want uh, water torture, but with maple syrup. That was so dark. I loved that whole episode. People were mad about it because only the four main four were in it. But I was like, listen, this is iconic. Yeah. Oh, I have to stop so saying bad. that. Um, You're gay. You can't help it. I, yeah, I can't. So at the close of every episode, um, we're going to do what we wished would happen in extemporaneous on my part. Did you write it down? I didn't write shit. <laughs> okay, so in totally extemporaneous fan fiction, do you want to go first? Absolutely not. Okay. It's like not really fan fiction because I'm not going to set the scene. I'm just going to say what should have happened if I was writing for the show, which I should be. I'm going to harass the writers until they hire me because I'm very good. Hello, CW. <laughs> Hello, CW. Are you listening? Um. Anyway, so here's what should have happened. So, obviously, this is going to be way gayer. Veronica rolls into town. She meets Betty. She thinks she's very, like, soft and sweet and nice. And she's like, this girl could be a really good influence on me. I should be friends with her. <laughs> That's kind of what happens already. Yeah. But as it progresses, like, Betty gets really intrigued by this, like, dark, you know, interesting you know, non-white girl oh, in oh. her town. And she's like, wow, she's giving me a lot of attention. I'm so, like, confused. What am I feeling? <laughs> <laughs> and then 
when they get that uh that uh iconic straight aggressively straight kiss scene in oh, yeah. the cheerleading tryouts. Instead, that moment is a moment of tender, loving connection. And they like look at each other shocked, like the world has moved now that they've kissed each other. But they both just ignore it because Veronica's like, I'm not gay. I wear dresses. And then Betty's like, I can't be gay. My mom's a violent homophobe because you know Alice is homophobic. And oh, yeah. And then, you know, Cheryl's just super homophobic, even more homophobic in that moment. She's like, we don't do that dyke stuff. (laughs) (laughs) She says that on the CW show. (laughs) She says, we don't do that. Y'all are degenerate weirdos. And then they're like, no, I don't want to be a weird. Like, everyone's really homophobic to them. Like, people are like, like, boys are jeering at them in the hallways. Like, heard you guys are gay. And they're like, no, I'm not gay. And they're blushing. I want this to be. I want that to be more icy. Like that kiss that they have. I want them to be like really upset about it, like angry at each other. Oh yeah, that's good. And I want the whole. I want it to be like a big scandal instead of like a throwaway. Because I want it to be like 1980, and that's like a big deal. Instead of what Cheryl says, how it's not taboo anymore. I want it to be taboo. That's what I want. Yes. So then, you know. They ignore each other and then it comes to the party after the formal and they're just sitting there and the bottle lands on Archie who has been doing nothing this whole time except being a, a boy foil. He's just, he just goes to the prom with Betty as a friend because she's a lesbian now, obviously, mm-hmm. but, but he thinks they're on a date and he's trying to let her down easy. But the whole time she's just thinking about Veronica and I'm like, Oh, anyway. So then at the party, Betty gets mad because Archie and Veronica go into the co- closet, not because she cares about Archie, but because she cares about Veronica, and that's why she storms off. Oh, oh my God, you forgot something super important. What? You forgot after tryouts when they're officially vixens and they go into the locker room and they're still kind of pissed at each other. They're like, because they don't understand what they're feeling, but then they start to have like, this tender moment with, you know, Veronica zipping up Betty's uniform. Oh my God. That moment. Lingering hand. That moment really, like when I first saw it, even then I was like breaking down. Like I was spiraling about how like tender and sweet and like feminine that moment was. Uh, Oh my God. (laughs) Yes. So that's really crucial. That's really crucial. And then, Veronica goes to find Betty after the party and then they like are like I think I might like you and then they're like I think I might like you too and then they kiss and then when Archie goes to find Jughead he's like oh no Archie goes to Betty oh I'm a genius this should have been the episode I'm a genius so then Archie goes (laughs) Archie goes to find Betty and he sees Betty and Veronica kissing on her front porch and he's like what's happening so he goes to find Jughead to complain about it he tells Jughead and he's like Jughead's like is two people of the same gender kissing really so wrong and Archie's like no 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 and then they kiss episode over you know you never said that part before and I'm shocked (laughs) I am shook I'm shooketh I I don't know what to do with myself right now. What did you just die? <laughs> yeah. I wish it was real so bad. Yeah, oh I don't God. know what to do with myself now. <laughs> Episode over. Good night, everybody. For real, you're not gonna go. <laughs> no. <laughs> Seriously. All right. So this was a first oh my gosh, we're like almost exactly at an hour. We're so good at this. Okay, well, I think that means it's actually time to wrap up the episode, guys. Yeah, that was super fun. Hopefully people listen so we feel motivated to keep doing this. Yeah, I mean, even if nobody listens, we're definitely going to keep doing this. So, you know, (laughs) keep an eye out. Just have like a valid outlet for all these emotions. Um, So, once again, this is the River's Edge podcast. Yeah. The gayest Riverdale podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Rivers Edge Pod. Um, yeah, don't criticize us. We can't handle it. <laughs> I can handle it. Anna can't handle it. 
direct all your criticisms at Carla. She will moderate them and then never tell me about it. Exactly. That's my job. <laughs> all right. Thank you for listening. If you got to the end, amazing. Thank you for listening. <laughs> um, bye. Yeah, thank you for listening. 